Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching 1987's Moonstruck. Loretta Castorini, a bookkeeper from Brooklyn, New York, finds herself in a difficult situation when she falls for the brother of the man she has agreed to marry. This movie is so good. It's so good. It's outstanding. Okay, explain yourself. Why haven't you seen this? I didn't watch a whole lot of romantic comedies when I was a kid. But like this wouldn't have been like on the background of TV. Like, you know, you would be surprised, but this does not fit in with the vibe for either of my parents film watching days. Hmm. Nobody I knew would have really been into this movie, possibly because of the cultural specificness and because of how absurd this movie is. It's definitely absurd. It's not the style of movie that fits what we would normally watch. See, I could see your, I'm going to have to talk to your mom because I see, I could see her loving this. The first time I saw this, I must've been nine or maybe 10. I was at my grandma's house in San Diego as they're visiting her and she was in love with this movie. And from that point on, anytime I see Cher, I think of my grandmother. Like it's just Cher is my grandmother. (laughs) It's just, it's nuts. I love it. This movie is so fun. Okay, this movie had a $15 million budget. It made $127 million. This is a great return for a romantic comedy. But not surprising. No, it's it's about right. For a movie that was such a phenomenon at the time. No, it doesn't shock me in the least that it made that amount of money. This was a little bit before like romantic comedies became like a big deal. And before they were allowed to be artsy. True. Let's talk about our writer. John Patrick Shanley. Before this, he wrote the movie Five Corners. And then after this movie, he wrote The January Man, Joe versus the Volcano, which is a wonderful, wonderful movie. Alive, Congo, The Red Coat, Doubt, and The Portuguese Kid. If you're thinking he sounds familiar, but those movies don't really ring too many bells. He is a well-known playwright. He wrote Danny in the Deep Blue Sea, Women of Manhattan, The Big Funk, and Doubt. We actually, in our performance one class in college, all of the scene studies we did came from John Patrick Shanley. So we are very familiar with Danny and the Deep Blue Sea and the Women of Manhattan. I actually did two scenes from that one, and they were phenomenal. His work is wonderful, and it's very apparent in this movie Mm -hmm. because all of the subtext is written into the dialogue. Yes. So it makes it perfect for a beginning actor because it's very easy to understand the motivations Mm -hmm. of the character because they're spoken. Yes. The original screenplay featured a subplot that showed the characters played by Cher and Vincent Gardenia volunteering at a men's homeless shelter as penance for their sins. But it was discarded. This movie is a little too long. So I understand why it got cut, but, but that would oh, have been hilarious. Scene. Like they're both so matter of fact. I could totally see them standing in that line, you know, serving food on plates and just being like, "Yeah, this is what we gotta do. We're horrible people. We're sinners. This is what we gotta do." Like that—that <laughs> that so is their characters, and I would have loved. Like it would have been like three minutes. It would have been perfect. The film was originally called *The Bride and the Wolf*. I don't. Yeah, *Moonstruck's* better. No, it's no, quippier. No, no. It's better. And Shanley originally wrote this with Sally Field in mind for the lead role. Now, if everyone was Irish, maybe you could pull this off. But see, like, I like how 
Loretta isn't written as this hopeful romantic or hopeless romantic. She's very resolved. I I waited a long time to get married till I was in love and it ended like that. And, and so now it's just this is this guy's good enough. It's good enough. I mean, to be fair, Sally Field could play that. I don't see her in that. It's only because you've only seen her in certain things, but she has enough range to do it. They just don't ever give her that opportunity. I don't think I would have liked that from her because of, and I honestly think it has more to do with her actual appearance. She looks so earnest as a person. I don't see resolved from her. I just don't. Earnest and resolved are two very similar things. They are, but there's a line. <laughs> uh, and Cher's really good at this. So, yeah, I just, no. I mean, I wouldn't sacrifice Cher. Don't get no, me wrong. Not at all. all right, let's move on to our director, Norman Jewison. Before this, he directed a ton of television series, a lot of TV specials. He did the Judy Garland show in 64 Semi No Flowers, The Cincinnati Kid, The Thomas Crown Affair, Fiddler on the Roof, Woo. Jesus Christ Superstar, Rollerball, F-I-S-T, and Justice for All. Then after this, he did In Country, Other People's Money, Only You, Bogus, The Hurricane, and his last film that he directed was The Statement in 2003. He considers this his favorite movie of all the ones he's directed. And he directed Fiddler on the Roof. He also directed In the Heat of the Night and won a Best Picture for it. There's something so magically charming about this movie. It is so charming. A lot of the stuff that he's worked on were very kind of serious and... They're very male-driven. And this one is more female-driven. It's kind of shocking how that happens, huh? Hmm. Those female-led movies, they'll get you every time. They're amazing. This is why we should have them all! Okay, I want a balance. But for right now, we need to overcorrect by doing all ladies all the time and people of color. All right, how do we feel about his direction? So it's really interesting mm-hmm. because all of the acting is happening almost at a stage presentational level. Yes. And yet all of the directing is very detailed and static isn't the right word because the camera moves. But it moves in a very realistic and often close-up way. Like, everything is very hyper-focused in the moment on the characters. Mm -hmm. There's some dreamy qualities here and there, especially when we're dealing with the moon itself Mm -hmm. and the superstition. Sure. But a lot of what we see is very intimate with the actors, which is this weird balance when you've got actors incredibly overacting mm-hmm. except for Cher. Yeah, no, she's not overacting. It's it's Nicholas Cage who overacts. Norman Jewison has stated that the climactic kitchen sequence was the most difficult scene he has ever shot in his career. The crew were dismissed and Jewison rehearsed it with the cast for some time using stage production approaches and only after the actors perfected their timing did he decide where to put the camera? Which I love. I love that. If you've got a script that is this good, where the words are right, that you do not mess with the words, you then have to, then you layer in your actors and then you add your camera. Well, and this script is so structured as a stage play. Mm-hmm. I mean, it very much oh, yes. is that you need somebody who can get the actors on that level, mm-hmm. put them in the set piece. And then be able to detach from that and go, okay, how am I going to make this look on screen? 
because to do it on stage would actually be pretty simple. And you could create some creative blocking to make it Mm -hmm. dynamic. But to get it on screen, you've now got to decide, where am I going to put the camera for this shot? How are we going to move it over here? Well, you have to decide what your shots are, which is part of being a director. But when you've got something that you've built like a stage play, that becomes that much more complicated because you're like, it's all supposed to be seen and it's all good. And you've only got so many cameras. So, you know, unless you've got a hundred million dollars to make this movie, you've probably only got like two cameras, right? Max. So you've got to be able to chunk the scenes apart Mm -hmm. and everybody's got to stay on this level to be able to make the scene work. It's incredibly complicated, which means that it's a testament to how good he is Mm -hmm. that it feels consistent well it's it's the correct instinct to be like i'm gonna let the script tell me what to do with my actors and then the actors tell me what to do with my camera exactly that's that's the appropriate approach with a script like this and as lovely as that scene is it did not go off perfectly jewison was fined by the actors union for not allowing his actors to go to lunch until they perfected their moods for the scene yeah that's not cool that's a little (laughs) it could be worse like if everybody goes like can I push your lunch so we can get this done? Yeah, do it. I mean, I've had to do that in rehearsal before. We'd be like, okay, does anybody have a problem if we stay here for one more hour? Not really. Okay, if we stay an hour, we're done. One more hour and we're done. Or we got a break and then we got to come back. Nope, let's finish this. Yeah. I mean, like, that- I get it, but it's not good. Well, if you if you get fined. <laughs> yeah, if you get fined, it was really bad. It also means usually someone complained. The one thing that elevates it even more for me is how consistent the tone stays throughout the entire movie. Mm -hmm. You don't lose any of that feeling the entire time. And it would be so easy to lose that Mm -hmm. when you've got people acting at different levels, but it's all intentional and it's all thought out. Yeah. So that consistency lets you know this is a really, really well-directed movie. All right, let's get to our cast. We start with Cher playing Loretta Castorini. Before this, she'd been on her TV, some TV. She oh, some a, TV, like the Sonny and Cher show? Uh, they'd only done the specials. They hadn't done like the full TV show yet. She was in the movie Chastity, The Young Animals, Dead Ringer, The Witches of Eastwick, and Suspect. After this, she did Mermaids, Ready to Wear, Faithful, Tea with Mussolini, Stuck on You, Burlesque, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. And later this year, she'll be Artist in Residence. She's amazing. She really is. She's very, like, subtle's not the right word. Understated. Understated is a better word, yes. Understated. Because when she has to get big, she gets big. And you uh, you always can tell that that is a possibility with her. Like, when she yells her snap out of it, it's, you always knew she was capable of that. That's not a surprise. But it's it's a funny thing to say, and that's why it kind of shocks you. Yeah, it's it's shocking, and that's why it's such a, a big moment. But... It's because of the context in which she does it mm-hmm. that makes it so impactful. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, it would just be a big reaction for no point. So again, it all goes back to the writer. Good writing. Then good actor. There we go. <laughs> she does this amazing work of recognizing that she's grounding this mm-hmm. entire story and literally embodying that. Well, she's the straight woman to yeah. everybody else. Everyone else are the clowns. Like, her dad's ridiculous, Ronnie's ridiculous, Johnny's ridiculous. Her mom's a little ridiculous. Her mom is, well, her mom's the most like her, obviously. And she's got her own subplot. Her mom is more outspoken than she is. 
it's great. And so she, her whole thing is I have to be around these crazy people so I can't be crazy as well. Right. <laughs> and that that's that seems that yeah. If you've ever been around a ton of crazy people and you don't feel like you're crazy, you have had to temper your crazy because there's too much crazy in the room. But then on top of that, watching watching her walls break down mm-hmm. in the face of Ronnie continuing to just badger her with his insanity. Well, so we see her just completely resolved. Whole, like she's just like my, this is my life. It's not like it's I, it's not going to be this fantasy. She's literally going to marry a guy just because he's nice and has some money. Yeah. Then she sleeps with Ronnie and she agrees to go to the opera. And that's that's when she decides to have a makeover because makeovers can change your life. It's just a fact. It's true. Right? Like it's a cliche, but it's also a fact. And then she's she goes to this opera and she doesn't understand it. And then it breaks her and she just starts crying and she's just melting into it. And it's amazing. And she does such a great job with it. It's beautiful. Cher almost, she actually originally turned this down. She had just done two movies back to back and she was tired. And she also thought that she couldn't play a bookkeeper because she was such a lavish spender in real life. (laughs) Which I think just lends the fact that it's such a great performance knowing that Cher is insane. But I think she taps into just that inner resolve that she always had as a performer. Mm-hmm. Like, she was a very prominent female performer with a lot of power mm-hmm. for a long period of time before this movie. Mm-hmm. You don't get there without having a shit ton of moxie. Oh, absolutely. And she just taps that into a normal person's life. No, she's she's amazing. She's, yep. I can't imagine this movie with someone else. She's 17 years older than Nicolas Cage. I buy it. I buy it, but I also, like, you can't even tell. You really can't. You can tell she's probably a little older, but like five years, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's just she's lived a little more life. It's not one of those looks things so much as her personality just reads, she's lived some more life than Ronnie has. Well, yes. And that's all, that's all it boils down to. All right. Nicolas Cage. Ronnie Camareri. We've talked about him before a couple times. He was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Raising Arizona, both of which we've covered on this podcast. After this movie, he did Honeymoon in Vegas, Leaving Las Vegas, Con Air, Face Off, City of Angels, Gone in 60 Seconds, National Treasure, Kick-Ass, Mandy's, Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse. And he has eight movies that are like post-production, in-production, on their way. Like This man is does not stop working. Gotta pay off that IRS debt. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And that's just like a tiny portion of the movies he's like, been Those in. are like the big highlight. The blanket term we always give for Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. is I'm like, I don't know if he'd be good in this role, but damn it, he'd be interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Every time. His commitment is like insane. And again, you give him an amazing script to work with. Yeah. You can see the results. His commitment he, uh, to he, this character feeds those lines so perfectly. Oh, yeah. He, he fully commits and absurd works for him. He's good with the absurd. Like the first movie back for him after all the crazy that I was like, this is his alley. This is his lane was kick ass. Yeah. Like he'd been away for a while. He'd done, he'd done like ghost rider movies. So not my thing. And then we saw him in Kick-Ass and was like, this is the lane that he plays in the best. He's great. Yeah. And it's just that absurdity. And this film, he's just ridiculous. He is the biggest drama queen there ever was. The scene where he's giving his big speech, he's like, give me the big knife. No, 
Ronnie, no! <laughs> like, they're all freaking out at him because he's being ridiculous. But at the same time, they're all everyone in that scene is just like, he does this at least once a week. Like, yeah. he's not going to do anything. He's just being dramatic. It's amazing. And you totally buy it. It's one of my favorite scenes, like, I've just seen, period. Wow. His acting is so good in that scene. It is. It is quite good. So often, I'm drawn to acting that is very understated and quiet and intimate. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the stuff that draws me. When an actor manages in a more dramatic situation to pull off a scene in which they are full on fucking going nuts. Yeah. And you believe it is something to behold. True. Because it's so often done badly. And he does it so well through this entire movie. And again, consistent in his tone. Mm. Nicolas Cage has said that the acting style he was channeling while doing the hand speech was inspired by watching the body language of Rudolf Klein Rogue in director Fritz Lang's German 27 film Metropolis. Nick Cage's screen chest didn't impress the studio and they wanted to go with somebody else. But Cher insisted that Cage was the only one for that role and she threatened to quit unless they hired him. And a few days later, the studio relented. That was the right choice. Yes, I fully agree. I try to think of other up-and-coming actors at that time and I don't know anybody that pulls off that manic energy the right way. Hmm. Not to mention that you did need an Italian actor. He's a Coppola. We forget that. He's a Coppola. He's a bit crazy. It's in that family. It just is. In a good way. He's just... I'm trying to think of who else that I feel does that manic thing well. I think he was exactly the right person for this specific role. Oh, I agree. All right. Next, we have Vincent Gardinia as Cosmo Castorini. Before this, he was on every television show known to man. <laughs> all we of say them. that about everybody. All of them. I mean, it, it's just like, it's all guests. He's not the lead on anything. So it's like television show from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. He was on it. Yep. That's that's what it is. He was in Little Murders, Cold Turkey, Hickey and Boggs, Death Wish, The Front Page, Heaven Can Wait, Home Movies, and Little Shop of Horrors. After this, he actually did a couple Italian movies. And then he had a, a good run on L.A. Law, and he was in the movie The Super. He is also a very interesting degree of absurd. He's delightful because of how deadly serious he is in his ridiculousness. Oh, yes. Like, I'm not paying for that. You're loaded. No, I'm not. You're just cheap. <laughs> like, he, he is completely delusional. He's enveloped in his own world of his creation. Yeah. I mean, he's just like, well, my wife's like, she's my wife. I love her, but whatever. And I'm going to go have my girlfriend who thinks I'm amazing. Well, he plays himself off as this Lothario, which is so funny. He is not a looker at all. No. And he envisions himself as this wonderful ladies man, even though the real reason this woman is with him is because he's got money to spare. He's got money and he's given her attention. As yeah. soon as someone else comes along, she's going to go. Yeah. I, like, it's, it's not a secret. He is a classic comic character mm -hmm. of a lower status character playing high status. Mm -hmm. That's what he is. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's made his money in plumbing. Yeah. Though his sales pitch is pretty damn good. It is very good. I won't lie. I appreciate that. No, it's, it's, he's, he's a lovely tone. He's a lovely tone. And what I also like is that he has a similar absurd nature that Ronnie has. 
there there is something in there that is very similar. It's just expressed in a different way. They've just gone opposite directions where Cosmo is delusional and that I'm amazing and Ronnie is delusional and that my life has been ruined. Yeah. Like that's but it's just very like it's very close. I mean to be fair, Ronnie's life kinda was ruined, but mostly by his own design. That's his fault more than anything else. <laughs> All right, Olympia Dukakis as Rose Castorini. Ugh, my heart. Uh, before this, she was in Lilith, Stiletto, Sisters, The Wanderers, and then lots of television spots. After this, she did Working Girl, Look Who's Talking, one and two. Steel Magnolias, Over the Hill, Naked Gun, 33 and a third, Mighty Aphrodite, Mr. Holland's Opus, Mafia, more television, Jesus, Mary, and Joey, the librarian returning to King Solomon's Mize in the land of women, Tales of the City. And then later this year, she'll have You Can Call Me Eve and The Secret of the Gods. This woman is amazing. I love her. She's just, do you love them? No, that's good. It's just, I love it. She's so great. As wonderful as Cher is in this movie, mm-hmm. she is just so wonderful and human and real mm-hmm. and not phased by all of the bullshit of the world. She is who I would love to eventually be Maybe with a little less cynicism. I'm a little more optimistic as a person, Mm -hmm. but definitely just not down for the bullshit. (laughs) Hi, it me. (laughs) This is me. Like, just when she looks at John Mahoney and goes, what you don't know about women is a lot. (laughs) Like, oh, you stole my heart. This is my favorite thing ever. And this is me. I I don't put up with bullshit. And And she's gorgeous to boot. Oh, she's beautiful woman. She just has this tone. And again, it goes back to the writing. She's written so well. And Olympia Dukakis just plays her. I don't want to use resolved again. She's tired. She does have a sadness to her. Melancholy. Melancholy. Sure. Let's use grown up words. But she's (laughs) I I think it's exhaustion. Like there's a ton of that there because she's just been beaten down by the stupidity of her husband Mm -hmm. And the wreck that has happened to her daughter, mm-hmm. which, you know, she she doesn't blame her daughter in any way. She blames superstition. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. She just has this weariness, but that feeds into this wonderful, beautiful melancholy of the world. And melancholy can be a good place at some points. It sounds like it's not, but sometimes having a little sadness about the world is not a bad thing. <laughs> True. She's a nice balance mm-hmm. to Cosmo and also Loretta. Yeah, yeah. Because Loretta ultimately has a slightly more positive outlook, even mm-hmm. despite being beaten down. True. Olympia Dukakis is only 15 years older than Cher. <laughs> uh, the despondent moan that Olympia Dukakis repeats to herself throughout the film is a direct homage to Dustin Hoffman doing that in The Graduate. According to casting director Howard Fewer. Both Anne Bancroft and Maureen Stapleton have been considered for the role of Rose, but their fees were too expensive for the budget. But Fur remembered Olympia Dukakis as a character actress and had her come in. She read for Jewison and he hired her instantly. Now, I wouldn't replace anybody, mm-hmm. but I'd kill to see a screen test of Anne Bancroft doing that. Oh, Anne Bancroft would have been amazing. Yes. All right. Next, we have Danny Aiello as Mr. Johnny Camerari. Before this, he was in Bang the Drum Slowly, The Godfather Part 2 as Tony Rosato, Hooch in Plain Sight, Man on Fire, 
After this, he was in Do the Right Thing, Harlem Nights, Death Mask, Mistress, Ready to Wear, a bunch of different little miniseries, Dinner Rush, Lucky Number Slevin, Reach Me, Little Italy, and then he has a bunch coming up this year, too. Always been a good Italian mm-hmm. character actor. He's he's a lovely opposite Nick Cage's character. And I do love the whole, like, once someone says, well, he's a baby, you're like, oh, my God, he is a baby. He embodies that description. Like, it's just, the light bulb just goes off. It's ridiculous. He often plays characters, when I've seen him, that are more the older guy in the little Italian block Mm -hmm. that maybe runs the pizzeria or the restaurant. Hint, hint, do the right thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is a very different role for him. Being a overly sensitive mm-hmm. wimp is not his wheelhouse as an actor. <laughs> and I love it because it's so different and he's so good at it. <laughs> oh, he's lovely. He's a little sprinkle on top of the Sunday. I feel like everybody in this cast is stretching themselves mm-hmm. in just the right way to give a stellar performance. Mm-hmm. Like they're just pushing themselves that little inch further mm-hmm. from what they would normally do. Right, so that's all the main people. Of course, there's more cast than neighbors, blah, blah, blah. But they're not in the movie enough for us to really warrant talking about all of them. But we do have a couple of our pawns. Our pawns. Our pawns. We have Robin Bartlett and Amy Aquino and one Mr. Charles Scorsese. Charles Scorsese. <laughs> yes, he's in the bakery. <laughs> he's, he's a dude at the bakery. Can't help loving that man. Uh, he's adorable. It's Martin Scorsese's dad. Who is in every Martin Scorsese film. And last but not least, in terms of our Arpons, we have John Mahoney. John Mahoney. He revealed that it was this film that got him widespread attention and eventually led to him getting Frasier, which I totally believe. I love John Mahoney and I'm so sad he's dead. Oh, Marty Crane. Uh, and we just passed the anniversary of him passing and Kelsey Grammer retweeted his tweet that said he was my dad. And it was just like, <laughs> I can't do it. It's so sweet. I love how different slash similar he is in this movie. He's not Marty Crane. Like, he's not a man of the people. No. But he's wonderfully delightful in being a womanizer. Well, I love... And then once confronted with that... He is fascinated by her take on him. Uh-huh. He's just like, who is this woman who's giving me shit? This is amazing. Not just giving me shit, but who is this woman who absolutely knows and has me pegged to a T because I am in love with it. He recognizes you are a strong and actual independent woman. You are immune to my bullshit. And I am in love with it. Yeah, I guys find that really attractive. (laughs) Ask me how I know. (laughs) All right. It's time for trivia. The opening title sequence was originally played on the score from La Boheme, but it was later changed to the Dean Martin track, That's Amore, because the test audience got uncomfortable thinking they had they had been lured into an art film. Incredibly smart move. Yeah, I agree. That's that attention to detail mm-hmm. that works really well in this movie because the audience would have kept that in their mind throughout this movie. You could easily frame this as an art house flick. Oh, yes. And it's not, but it's an incredibly good move that they it's changed It's not, that. but a different edit it is. Yeah. Yeah. This film is included on Roger, Roger Ebert's great films list. It is. 
Snap Out of It was voted as the number 96 movie quote on AFI's list out of 100. It'll forever be the classic line and the defining line from the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. In keeping with the opera theme, the main roles can be divided along operatic lines. Loretta is the soprano, Ronnie the tenor, Johnny the baritone, Rose the contralto, and Cosmo the bass. Adorable. And you, I love those little things. It just makes my heart happy. All right, time for Oscars. Awards. Awards. The whole reason we're here. It was nominated for Best Picture. Along with The Last Emperor, Broadcast News, Fatal Attraction, and Hope and Glory, The Last Emperor won. This feels like a, a non-plus year, but some of it is I hadn't seen any of these mm-hmm. movies. So It was also nominated for directing for Last Emperor, Fatal Attraction, Hope and Glory, and My Life as a Dog. Bernardo Bertolucci won for The Last Emperor. That's a visual feast type movie, mm-hmm. so I can understand why that won over this. Mm-hmm. Actor in a supporting role, Sean Connery for The Untouchables, Albert Brooks for Broadcast News, Denzel Washington for Cry Freedom, Vincent Gardenia for Moonstruck, and Morgan Freeman for Street Smart. The Oscar goes to Sean Connery for The Untouchables. Weird. Never seen The Untouchables, though, so. Neither have I. Now we get into our wins. Mmm. Writing original screenplay goes to John Patrick Shanley. He was up against Louis Mal for Au Revoir Les Enfants. James L. Brooks for Broadcast News, John Borman for Hope and Glory, and Woody Allen for Radio Days. There are two very heavy hitter movies on there. Avoir les enfants is considered a French classic at this point. Mm-hmm. And Broadcast News is like James L. Brooks's big break mm-hmm. and possibly his best script by yeah. most critics. So that's a huge win. But it's a damn good script this is great i mean i haven't seen any of those movies but this script is amazing it is very very good i know actress in a supporting role the oscar goes to olympia dukakis she was up against ann archer for fatal attraction norma alejandro for gabby a true story and southern for the whales of august and Anne ramsey for throw mama from the train <laughs> okay i have seen throw mama from the train that movie is ridiculous <laughs> And I've seen Fatal Attraction, which is a great movie. That's a bizarre grouping of actresses. It It is a bizarre grouping. But you know what? Olympia Dukakis wins. She mm. wins. It's amazing. I'm super happy about life. Just makes my heart happy. All right. Last but certainly not least, actress in a leading role. The Oscar goes to Cher. She was up against Sally Kirkland and Anna. Holly Hunter, Broadcast News, Glenn Close for Fatal Attraction, and Meryl Streep for Ironweed. Those are some heavy hitters. Especially for that specific year, Glenn Close and Holly Hunter in those two movies were considered incredibly defining performances. I mean, like Glenn Close doesn't have an Oscar, and that always surprises people. She's up for one this year. Yeah, this is insane. And then that Holly Hunter performance, Mm -hmm. we talked about Raising Arizona being big. But Broadcast News was the one that broke her as the actress with a capital A type thing. That's oh, what got her a the serious. lady. Yeah, because mm-hmm. she's she's in a newsroom full of men mm-hmm. giving as much shit as they give her. Well, that's definitely the Holly Hunter brand. And so like that was the sort of, oh shit, she's the real deal movie for yeah. her. And what's so Im- amazing, there's footage of Cher winning that Oscar mm-hmm. 
and literally all four ladies are everyone's like, excited about yes it. i do love it when you can tell that everyone is excited for the winner like particularly those years where you know it's so contested and it's like oh it could go to any one of us and it would be amazing like we we've seen this a lot in the the lady comedy for the golden globes or the emmys like that competition is so fierce that like Everyone's mad at Julia Louis-Dreyfus for continuing to win. But at the same time, we're like, the woman is amazing. And this is just because someone's going to be wondering. This is not the year of the share giant headdress, Bob Mackie dress. That was the year prior. Uh, she did wear a basically naked Bob Mackie dress for this year. I mean, it's fucking uh, share. share. I mean, if you're going to do it, <laughs> do it. It's a look to remember for sure. But the headdress one was... I mean, like, it's a bit much, but it is amazing. I can appreciate that. If you can pull the look off. If you can do it, do it. Fucking go for it. If you can do it, do it. All right. It's time to rate this movie. How many big knives are we giving it? Give me the big knife. Give me the big knife. I'm going to. This is a four. This is a straight. I'm being very giving with my star ratings this year, but we also have been watching some fucking amazing films. This is a four for me. Same. Damn it. Same, same, same. I kind of hate it when our scores match. (laughs) I feel like it's cheating in some way. Like, I know we make the rules, but it feels wrong. The only thing is, I wouldn't say, like, it's this gigantic feat of filmmaking, which is why I don't get up to a five for it. Like, it's not as amazing and beautiful as the piano. Did I give that a five? Yeah, we gave that a five. Okay. (laughs) But it's so rewatchable. It's so incredibly precise and well made Mm -hmm. and like i'm going to watch this movie again this is now on a list of movies that if i want to just feel better about life i can go watch this i was having a rough day when we watched this movie Mm -hmm. and after watching it i felt eight thousand times better this is the ultimate win for Diana because David hates everything, particularly any film you could put in the category as this is fluffy. This is just funny. Make you feel good movie. David just automatically hates it because he wants to be a brooding artsy dude. But this movie has enough brooding artsiness to it. I know. That it subverts that and sucks everybody in. It's just that good. So it gets a four. Oh, goodness. Right. Well, that brings us to the end of our Oscar winning performances for this year. Next week is going to be our Oscar coverage post the broadcast. But if you are a Patreon member, you're going to get one more Oscar winning performance from us. We're going to cover Moonlight on our Patreon. So if you would like to listen to that, go on over to patreon.com slash Macintosh and mod and sign up for the $2 a month and up. You'll get access to that. All of our other movies that we've covered, our entire coverage of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, as well as a couple extra My Little Pony things. And then later this week, we will have some lead up Oscar bonus episodes. Yes, we will also have our Oscar song. Listen, we had a lot of people who loved that last year. So we're doing it again this year because it was we had a lot of fun. And we will share our ballots. Yes, we will do our breakdown of where we're the same, where we're dividing and how we do our scoring for makeup. I I won last year. So let me see if I can keep it going. (laughs) It's going to be hard. We still have two Oscar movies we got to watch between now and then. And then then that's as good as we're going to get. We will have seen all the Best Picture nominees. So, all right. Until next time. Bye, everybody.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. (laughs) 